What's up, everyone? Uh, Omar here with you guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro GK Podcast. So, as you guys already know, the world is going through some pretty surreal times at the moment. Uh, this coronavirus has put a temporary hold on just about everything sports related. So, you know, while we still can't train or be out on that field, I feel that it's super important for you guys to continue to be students of the game by either watching professional highlights. Uh, highlights of your own sessions or listening to content from podcasts that will hopefully keep your guys' mind sharp in this time of inactivity. Um, that being said, in these next coming days, I'll be releasing as many interviews as I can that I've gotten with these top goalkeepers and goalkeeper minds. I've been really fortunate that a lot of these goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches from the professional world have agreed to come on with me and on the Pro GK channel for Instagram Live Q&As. Uh, your guys' questions have been great, so please, please keep those coming. And if you guys want to ask those questions, keep an eye out on the Pro GK Instagram stories for more information on any upcoming interviews. For now, stay safe, practice your social distancing, and enjoy this interview with Real Salt Lake first team goalkeeper coach, Todd Hofford. So everybody who's uh, logging on right now, just tell them a little bit about you. Who is Todd Hofford and what is your you know, playing career, coaching career? How has that all kind of taken to form? Yeah, well, I, I came from uh, probably not your, your typical path. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or just outside of Lancaster in a little town called New Holland. And basically, I was a baseball player. Uh, I played baseball for probably nine months of the year. Uh, it was my number one sport. And I played soccer for probably three months of the year. Um, but it was just something that I, I kind of stumbled upon. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I remember, I think I was in third grade, something like that, third or fourth grade. And my Saturday morning soccer coach one day said, look, you want to be a goalkeeper? Want to give it a try? I said, well, sure. He, my mom gave me a pair of gardening gloves and off I went and I fell in love. Uh, you know, I absolutely loved it. Uh, but I kept playing soccer for maybe three months of the year, but, um, I focused on baseball for the other nine months and it just got to be something where I just kept enjoying it, enjoying it, enjoying it, uh, was Went to Hartwick College, which some of you might uh, recognize Hartwick. Uh, was a Division One program back in the day, a very, very big school uh, at the time. Well, very small school, but very big in the soccer world. And they recruited me to play, and uh, I took a chance. Um, I had some other opportunities with baseball and, and said, no, I'm going to give this soccer thing a whirl. Uh, went there and had an amazing experience, did, did, did pretty well, uh, enjoyed my time there. Ended up getting drafted by the Harrisburg Heat in the indoor league. Uh, back, this was well before. This was in 1994, so well before you know, a couple years before MLS was around. Played indoors for a few years, bounced around, did the the indoor outdoor, which is something we had to do to make a living. You know, back then you played indoor in the winter, and then you would go and go on loan somewhere in the in the summertime uh, and play, and then you'd go back indoors. And I did that for probably five or six years before dedicating just on the outdoor thing, playing in the A-League. Uh, and then the body just had enough and was yeah. doing a lot of coaching at, at the time. Uh, had my own camps and things that I was running and decided to do that full time and got into some more coaching at the college level. Next thing you know, I was invited into some of the youth national teams. Uh, and then the MLS opportunity came about, and I've been here doing that kind of thing ever since. That's awesome. So just, you know, over the years for you, how has your philosophy and methodology kind of formed? And, um, you know, when you look at a goalkeeper and you're starting from square one, what is like, what do you prioritize as an MLS goalkeeper coach, professional goalkeeper coach? What is your priority when you try to mold these young kids? 
Yeah, well, I think what you what you said there earlier about the multi-sport athlete. Even the first thing when when a young goalkeeper comes to me and says they play baseball, they play basketball, they play football, they play tennis, whatever. I love it uh, because of the attributes you just said. You're an overall good athlete if you're doing that. And my 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 philosophy is pretty simple. You know, I think the best athlete goes in goal. You know, because we have to do a lot of different things. We have to throw our head in front of harm's way. Uh, we have to maneuver our body in a lot of different types of scenarios. You have to be extremely athletic to be a goalkeeper. So I love it when, when kids are multi-sport athletes. Uh, plus, they're using a lot of different types of muscles. Uh, if they're a basketball player, uh, if they're a tennis player, they're a soccer player, whatever. There's different types of muscles that you're going to utilize in each of those sports. So um, I think it's, it's very, very good to be that multiple sport athlete. Um, but for me, one of the, some of the priorities uh, that I'm looking for is one, you know, clean hands. You know, at the end of the day, we've got to be able to catch the ball. That's our number one job. You got to have clean, clean hands and a very good body shape. Uh, when I say body shape, you know, uh, your body's in the right position. You're square to the ball. You know, you're on the balls of your feet. Uh, your hands are in the right shape. Uh, your shoulders are square. All that kind of thing in regard to, to body shape and you know, being being forward in your movement. Um, quick footwork. <laughs> You've got to have really, really good feet. Yeah. Uh, not just with the ball, you know, at your feet, but just your movement. And that's another reason why I love players that are multi-sport athletes, especially if they play tennis, they play basketball, you know, a lot of these ground sports where you've got to be nimble on your feet. Uh, you've got to be able to move quickly. So that, to me, is, is another big priority. Um, and then the, kind of the other piece is the mentality. You know, mentality for me is, is key. You've got to be willing to strive to be the best. You've got to be willing to work. You've got to be willing to, to be the first person on the field at training every day and then the last one to leave. Uh, that, I think, for me, those three attributes are, are essential. And if you look at a lot of the, the top goalkeepers in the world, they have most. They have all those attributes, you know, and and then yeah. more. There's obviously there's other attributes that you can kind of tag on, but for me personally, those are three of the, the big ones for sure. And so one of the questions here I'm looking at, I think it's Christian seventy sixty or uh, seventy six oh five. Uh, he's talking about uh, you know the next level this distribution distance. Is that a factor for you as a coach, or do you say okay if they can play short and they can kind of play out of the back, is that kind of a good substitute? Uh, I think uh, obviously the the ability to do both. You know, play short and, you know, play out of the back and build, uh, especially in this modern game. It's it's critical. Um, but with saying that, you also have to be able to strike that long ball. Uh, so, for example, if you're just playing short, 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 or, or you might have heard some of your outfield po- coaches, you know, talk about this. Play short to play long, play long to play short. And what does that mm. mean? If you're playing short all the time, you know, the defense starts to creep in a little bit. Boom, that's when you're able to clip that ball over the top. So you're playing short. So you can then play long. If you're constantly playing long, you're playing long, but what's the backs going to eventually do? They're going to back up a little bit. Now you have the ability to play short. So you have to be able in in this modern game, I think, to have the ability to do both. You know, stretch the defense a little bit by hitting that long ball, but also have the ability to play short. And it's kind of those what I call second layer balls, you know, clipping that ball into, say, a winger or something like that and having that kind of in your your toolbox. So I think the more tools you can have in your, your toolbox, so to speak, uh, yeah. the, the higher level you're probably going to have the potential to play. No, I agree with that. I think that's huge in terms of, you know, even goalkeepers who don't have the biggest leg, but finding that winger, finding somebody to, to kind of bypass that front line, like you said, to be unpredictable and not be so one-dimensional, which is 
amazing at the next level. You need to have that to create space for yourself. So that's a really good point. Uh, okay, we have uh, from my man uh, from Camp Shutout, uh, Stan. He says, other than injury and cup games, what is a trend you see that exposes itself in order to make a change in the position? I tell you, that's, that's a good question. And it's always a difficult one to kind of answer. Uh, and I think a lot of that goes into who is your number one goalkeeper, in my opinion. You know, if, if you've got somebody that uh, is a 15-year veteran, they're probably going to have a little bit of a longer leash. You know, they have a bad, maybe bad outing. You kind of give them a little bit of slack. They have another one, maybe give them a little. After a little while, then you got to start to evaluate. But that's probably going to be multiple games before that's going to happen. You know, a younger, less experienced goalkeeper, uh, you might have a shorter leash, so to speak. Yeah. But a lot of that is, you know, what's the philosophy of the club, too? You know, are you a developmental club? Are you a club that's going to be looking to sell players? Uh, are you a club that's spent a lot of money, you know, and is expected to win every single week? And if that's the case, you're probably going to have a shorter lease on any of those goalkeepers. If it's a club that you're you're looking to build, develop, and maybe potentially sell and be what they call a selling club, you might, uh, you know, live with that goalkeeper a little bit longer to aid their development. But at some point, you might have to pull the plug, and that's always a tricky tricky thing at, at any level um yeah. you know and a, a lot of things kind of go into that you know what what's the what's it going to do the mentality of that goalkeeper if, if you do the pull the plug on them you know it's it's always a tricky question i don't think there's any one perfect answer uh there's a lot of things i think that you got to take into consideration uh to do that but uh, that's that's a good question and like i said i don't think there's any right or wrong answer you just have to be very very careful on, on kind of how you do it yeah i think that's i mean again it goes back to player management and it's very situational right you even see with in germany how that can kind of be mis mishandled with uh, ter stegen being healthy and then you have neuer who's coming off an injury and he obviously gets chosen to play in the world cup germany does not do well they they go out of the group stage so Sometimes it may be even good for the goalkeeper at the time that where the club is or where the team is that that backup goalkeeper just continues to learn so that when the opportunity does present itself, like you said, as a goalkeeper coach, it's your job to to groom them and make sure that when that opportunity does present itself, they're ready to go. Yeah, and that's that's the key. I mean, that's all our jobs are. You know, we're making sure that they're you know if the number is called and the manager says, hey, they're on, that they're ready to perform. Uh, for at sure. the end of the day, your job's on the line if if they're not going to perform. Hundred percent. So little transition now to uh, my man Miguel underscore Martinez 21 he says advice for young goalkeeper coaches in regards to training youth and elite goalkeepers so Todd for you when it comes to that kind of question do you feel like there is a progression from youth into elite and for you how have you kind of dealt with that progression as a coach <laughs> I've been asked that question so many times in the past you know uh, you know or a mom or dad coming up to me oh my son or daughter you know they're advanced they're looking for advanced goalkeeper training I usually have the same answer. When you find what advanced <laughs> yeah. goalkeeper training is, please tell me because I'd love to know what it is. Uh, to me, it's all about simplicity. You know, I trained that 9- and 10-year-old goalkeeper exactly the same way that I'm going to train Zach McMath, Andrew Putin, and David Ochoa. There are three goalkeepers here at Real Salt Lake at the moment. Same sort of exercises, everything. Yeah. What's, what is going to change drastically? My expectation. Uh, my expectation of the guys that I have at Real Salt Lake, I expect them to be able to do a lot more or perform at a higher level than, say, that 10, 11-year-old kid. But the exercises 
typically aren't going to change that much. They might change a little bit incrementally. The service is probably going to be a little bit harder from different angles, a uh, couple different types of variables. But the nuts and bolts of the actual exercises aren't going to tra- change too terribly much. Yeah. Uh, there might be a little bit more complex with an older goalkeeper or a professional goalkeeper where we're doing multiple saves, you know, but I might piece two exercises that I'm going to do with that 10, 11 year old and put them into one exercise with a professional, but it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's the expectation for me that's going to drastically change you know, from a young goalkeeper to a more experienced goalkeeper. And because, and, and my, my reason is pretty simple. If that 10 year old goalkeeper makes a mistake, Nine times out of ten, what happens? They can see the goal. Yeah. Yeah. If a professional at any level makes a mistake, nine times out of ten, where's it going to end up? As a goal that they've conceded. So if I look at it as if the penalty is the same, why should the training to be able to perform be too much different? Other than the expectation. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm going to expect a lot of that higher level goalkeeper. Uh, but the nuts and bolts, I mean, we're doing footwork, we're doing handling, you know, we're doing simple collapsing, a lot of that kind of stuff. We're doing every single day at the pro level that that 10, 11, 12-year-old kid's doing every single day and probably their their weekly goalkeeper training. For sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's really is about like establishing that foundation. I've I've, I've definitely found over my, my coaching career realizing that like uh, Mike, who I work with, uh, Michael Madrid, he always says it's about it's about them, not you. So making sure that it's not about how you look on social media, you don't, you know, how you look to your peers, but it's all about, like you said, those nuts and bolts, building the foundation, so that when they do step into the professional level, that's already been built, that's already been established, and then now the expectation is the only thing they have to really worry about instead of having to start from scratch. And it's hard though. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you, it's difficult as a coach sometimes when you, I mean, for myself on social media, when I see the finished product for other people, and I'm like oh, okay, well, that's what I should be doing as a coach versus just understand or not realizing that that was a progression that happened to process over time. And that's why the context sometimes can be a little misleading on, on online or, you know, from other coaches, I think. But okay, let's see. A.Dolanin.13. What characteristics can be used to compensate for, uh, I guess, low growth, but being short? Uh, I'm not one for height uh, or lack of height. Uh, you know, I've gotten asked that question, you know, many, many times. Um, my philosophy is kind of this. If you're six foot five and are unable to deal with that ball that's on the floor, you're just as bad as that five foot five goalkeeper that can't deal with the one that's high. Mm. So you have to have that even balance. So I look at it as you look at, say, Nick Romando, who was our goalkeeper here at RSL. Um, for anybody that knows Nick Romando, he wasn't six foot five, but he's arguably the best goalkeeper that's ever played in, in Major League Soccer. So if you're not six foot five, you just have to be a lot better in, in other different attributes. Like Nicky, what was one of his best attributes? Very, very good with the ball at his feet. You know, he could ping little side volleys, you know, clip balls in the second layers, you know, uh, passing with full pressure on him. It, nothing phased him. You know, very, very lightning quick. Uh, anything in and around him. Boy, oh boy, he was very, very difficult to beat. So, but not a six foot five type of goalkeeper. So, if you're if you don't have those big characteristics of a or looking to going to be six foot five, six foot four, or whatever, doesn't mean you're not going to make it. Yeah, um, it just means you might have to be a little bit better in one of the other areas of the game. You know, if you're five foot five, but you can play like you're six foot five, that's awesome. 
Yeah. That's, that's just as good as that six foot five goalkeeper, in my opinion. You've got to be able to jump through the roof. You might have to be able to read the game a little bit better. Uh, you know, I look at John Bush, you know, a good friend of mine. He's kind of that same sort of sort of thing. You know, it wasn't a six foot five, you know, massive behemoth. But I tell you what, John had a heck of a career in the league. Uh, very, very good career. Uh, but he read the game really, really well. Uh, could jump through the roof, and his work ethic was unbelievable. So yeah, you can still do it. It's just a matter of, you know, you might have to be a little bit cleaner in another area. For sure. So, like, you can talk about John Bush's uh, mentality and his uh, just, you know, ability to have those redeeming qualities. One of the questions we have now is uh, from Ro Alexis. He says, how can you train that mentality, uh, such as improving your focus and concentration? And, I mean, I think some goalkeepers already have that kind of coming in, but from a coach's perspective, how can you help them train that? And again, from your playing career, how did you help yeah. yourself with that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I worked a lot in my my uh, college days and the first couple of years in the pro game with sports psychologists. Um, you know, I, some of the things that we worked on was short-term memory. You know, I think as a goalkeeper, you have to have a short-term memory, but you also have to be a very big perfectionist. You have to be somebody that does not want to get beat. And you have to think, okay, I'm keeping a clean sheet every single day. I'm the best player on this field, and I'm going to prove it today. And and there's a fine line between cockiness and confidence. I don't like the cockiness, but I want that confidence. And I think in order to train that, I think you can a little bit. But inherently, I think you have to be born with a little bit of that as well. You have to be a little bit of born with that hunger to be the best. And I don't think there's anything wrong with going to training every day and saying, you know what, I'm going to be the best today. I'm going to be the best player on this field. You're not going to beat me. Okay, you just beat me. Okay, now try to do it again. Can you do it again? Uh, and I think going into every training session kind of with that attitude is, is kind of a way to, to harbor some of that and, and develop a little bit of that. Uh, and you can push and poke and prod a little bit as a coach to try to get that out of them. Uh, and I think asking questions too. What, what happened? Why, why did that? Why did that area, or why did you drop that ball, or or what did you see there? And you can kind of help them build their confidence a little bit, that they understand maybe why they made a mistake, by questioning them, and then they can figure out why, and then build upon that. So I, I'm one for asking a lot of questions in training, as opposed to me just saying you got to do it this way, you got to do it this way, you got to do it this way. Okay, why did you do it that way? Is there another way you may be, or what did you see in that situation? That type of thing. For sure, yeah. So it's collaboration effort, really, and it's like making sure that they have, like Tim Dittmer, we talked to him about it, and he was saying that, you know, if you expect something from your goalkeepers, you got to be able to create that kind of environment for them to, to, you know, create those attributes and characteristics. So like you said, if somebody, you know, if they make a mistake or they drop a ball, it's good to ask them why, why they use that technique or why they decided to go with that technique in that very moment. So at least now they're creating more problem solving ability for their heads. So like, you know, mental recall, right? So they can kind of come back to it and, and make the right decision per se the next time. Okay. For my man, Armando, he says, uh, how do you as a coach prepare a game week training schedule? So I'm guessing, uh, if you want to talk about one week ending a game on a Saturday or Sunday, and then discussing what your game week looks like until the next Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Well, typically, um, if we go Saturday to Saturday on that Monday would be a regen day for the, the goalkeeper that started or played on the weekend, okay. uh, which means they'll do some light stretching. We might do a little bit of handling, uh, very, very light, a little bit of light movements. For the goalkeepers, like say the backup or the number three that did not play on the weekend, we'll get after them a little bit. Because we'll, obviously they didn't play on the weekend, so we want to kind of keep their, their cardio up, 
uh, get their lungs and their legs burning a little bit. So we'll do a little bit of a heavier session with them. Uh, not a killer session, but, you know, something where they actually leave. And I'll, I'll always say to them at the end, I'm like, was that a session that you know you got a good workout, but you're not dying? And if they say no, we'll, we'll kind of go and get them to that point. Uh, but ho- most times that we're getting them to that point, on a Tuesday for the starter, uh, or played on the weekend, that will be their heaviest day. So mm-hmm. we'll typically do a little bit more of like the getting up, getting down, get across, um, you know, a little bit more labor-intensive type of activities. Uh, for us here at RSL, Wednesday's our day off. So we'll train Monday, Tuesday, have off on a Wednesday, and then train Thursday, Friday. So Thursday we'll start to taper. Thursday is usually our crossing day uh, where we'll start, you know, flighting some some unannounced um, – I'm sorry, some announced balls, you know, flighted balls into the box for them. We'll gradually get um, some balls with a little bit of pressure, and then typically we're integrating with the outfield players in some sort of crossing activity mm-hmm. on a Thursday. And then on a Friday, the day before, uh, is very, usually very, very light. We have our Friday session is, is almost a carbon copy every single week. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit goalkeepers so uh, I always like to, to give them that that Friday they know what's coming every single day they know what the the session's going to be uh, and it's very very light uh, and then it's some sort of small sided play with with the outfield um, but there's always some sort of integration all throughout the week with the outfield players love it that's 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 a very good breakdown I think uh, a lot of coaches will find that useful just to I mean we don't have as many days sometimes whether it's in college or uh, actually, you might have it if you're in the academy system where you have the goalkeepers throughout the week. So that's really important for them. So thank you for sharing that. I know that that's top secret or like that, but I appreciate you. Uh, no, there's, a, there's nothing. There. There's nothing top secret. I'm, I'm. I'm usually. It doesn't matter of what day, except for the Friday. We're usually out there early. You know, you gotcha. I, I try to get a minimum of 30 minutes with them before we're we're integrated with the uh, the rest of the group. Um, the only day that that changes a little bit is on the Friday, the day before, because it's very, very light. We'll go through like a 15, 20 minutes and boom, that's, that's about it. And then we're integrated and we do our restarts and all that. Got you. Okay, perfect. Well, talking about your Thursday about crossing, there is a question here that says from, it's from Dom Coleman one, why do you think dealing with crosses is a dying art? And I'm sure you've seen the game change a lot from it being an aerial battle, which I'm sure it sometimes is in England maybe, but other places it's all about distribution of feet. So can you kind of attest to uh, why you feel that is? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, in my opinion, I think one of the reasons it's a dying art is catching a ball. You know, I think that's the biggest dying art of all. You know, in fact, Stan and I, we mentioned earlier, we've had this conversation numerous times, you know, the ability to just simply catch a ball is a lost art. Uh, there's just it's there's too much stress, in my opinion, in blocking and in futsal goalkeeping and all that kind of thing, where it's just they block first and catch second. So I think that stems a lot of that into catching the cross mm. uh, or dealing with a cross because if you're not if you don't have that ability to actually catch a ball, you're probably not going to go into traffic where you have to move your feet and then get up in the air and catch a ball as well. You're just going to be a little bit less likely to do that. Um, but I also think that it's it's becoming a lost art. We don't work on it enough. Uh, and it's something I try to integrate all the time. And, you know, and I'll have young goalkeepers, you know, ask me, oh, I'm not very good on the cross. You know, I, I, I struggle with dealing with flighted balls. Okay, well, why do you struggle with flighted balls? How often do you actually work on just finding a flight line on a ball that's floated into the box 
with nobody around? And the answer yeah. typically is never. Okay, so if that's the case, when are you seeing crosses? Typically the answer is in games. Well, to me, that's like the first time, you know, you, your parents give you the keys to the car. They're going, hey, you know what? Here's the keys to the car. We're going on the highway. Yeah. Well, you're never going to do that. Where are you going to learn to deal with the situations of driving on the road? You're going to do it in some back parking lot somewhere. Why are you going to do it in a back parking lot? Because there's no obstructions. There's there's nothing to hit. You know, you're going to wide open parking lot. It's the same sort of thing with crosses. I think you have to be able to see balls all the time. You know, if you can every day, if you're training or, or little bits and pieces, but you have to be able to, to deal with balls with no pressure, you know, then you start to implement a little bit of that pressure. So once you get that confidence of dealing with no pressure, now we start to involve the pressure. You know, we do a lot with some of the dummies, Yeah. you know, where you position dummies all around the six yard box. Uh, but before we do that, we don't have anything in there. You know, it's just flighted balls. Just get your timing, get your, your flight line, your path to the ball, get that right, now all of a sudden we'll start to add some dummies. Then we'll put, add some some live players running to the box. So you got to build that confidence up. So I think that's one of the big reasons, you know, and and uh, it's it's not sexy. You know, a lot yep. of that type of work is not sexy, and everybody wants the, that advanced training, the, the stuff where you're diving over stuff and, you know, that I could go on and on and on about some of the stuff <laughs> you see on YouTube, but the yeah. end of the day, it's the, you got to do the nuts and bolts. You got to do those simple things right. And a lot of that with the crosses is just can you see flight lines? Can you deal with service with no pressure? Then gradually start to build it. So I think that's one of the big reasons. But again, the catching, and it's it's literally it's block first these days. Yeah. You know? And I, I think that's that's in my opinion, it's one of the big things that I have a problem with right now in in goalkeeping, not just in this country but across the world. Well, let's we'll get to the blocking. Um, there's, I'm sure there's gonna be a question on here somewhere, but uh, kind of Cooper Sisson underscore has been waiting for this question to be asked for a few minutes, and uh, I think he says, "Is it better to play at a higher level but not play as much, or play at a little bit of a lower level and play more and get much more training?" The young kids that I have, when they're you know, hey, do I play JV and be the starter, or do I be on the varsity team just to be the number two? So, with that kind of idea in mind, Todd, can you give us an idea or? Just general answer for that one. I tell you what, what was his name? Cooper. Cooper, awesome question. Awesome, awesome question. My opinion, I think it's much better for you to play on a lesser team than it is to ever play on a higher level team. Uh, and here's the reason why. You know, I, have, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the, I forget the name of the book, but they talk about 10,000 hours. You know, yes, you, yes. the 10,000 hour rule. If you're on a top team, Outliers. Winning every the outliers. That's it. Thank <laughs> you. Um, great book, by the way. But if you're on a, on a really, really good team, how often are you really getting tested? Probably not very often. So goalkeeping is a lot about decision making. You know, the ability to make quick decisions at the blink of an eye. Well, if you're never forced into those situations, but you happen to be on a, a good team, it's going to take you a lot longer to fulfill those 10,000 hours. Of situations so if you're on a weaker team you're going to be placed into situations all the time you know and you're you're going to be able to you know answer that question can I get to that ball can I not get to that ball a lot quicker than the player that's playing on a really good team but is put in less situations on a week-to-week basis so I think that's a great question uh, now that that answer if you ask me about an outfield player would probably be completely different yeah 
you know, but for a goalkeeper, I don't think it's always in your best interest to be on the top team in your area uh, for that specific reason. I know myself, I played, you know, we didn't have the club system back, back in the day, and I played high school, you know, for those three months that I talked about earlier. And we were awful. I think my senior year, we, we won, I think, maybe two games. We scored maybe a half a dozen goals. I think I had an assist on two of them. You know, we were not oh. very good. Uh, <laughs> But I look back on it and say, you know what? It's teams like that that probably gave me the situation to, to play in the higher levels, you know, because I was a little bit probably ahead of the curve where I was placed into so many situations all the time that some of the other guys that were probably competing for that same college scholarship weren't. And I think it benefited me greatly, uh, you know, on a lot of different levels. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it, it's not always in your best interest as a goalkeeper to be on that that top that top team in your area. So, but great question, Cooper. So, if anybody out there is kind of in between teams and you may think that you might not get a lot of playing time, try and go for the the lesser team if you can. Because if you want to go to a college camp too, a lot of the coaches, if I'm watching you play and I can I can see that you have a technical foundation and ability, I won't really ask too many questions about where you played. Of course, I'll know, I want to know where you play just to see if maybe I can go watch one of your games, but it doesn't really matter to me that you're on varsity. If you're on JV and you show me that you're good, like I, I don't really need much more information. I just want to keep following up with you to see what you, what you, where you're at. So I think just wanted to add on a little more to what you said there. Uh, yeah, well, and, and the only thing, other thing that I would add on to that is is I don't think it's always a bad to be a backup as well. You know, so... Yes, you want to be in places where you're being in situations, but I, I tell this to a lot of the, the high school or club goalkeepers that are going to be going into college in next year or two, when they say, oh, they're going to go to Virginia or wherever they're going to go, I'll usually look at them and say, I hope you don't start. And they always look at me like, what, what do you mean <laughs> yeah, you don't want me to start? I'm like, yeah, because typically you've probably been the number one goalkeeper all your life, but you have no idea what it's like to be a number two. And I think that is vitally important, especially if you want to play in the higher levels. You have to know what it's like to be that backup goalkeeper or the number three goalkeeper because you got to know what that mentality is, which goes back to some of those priorities I talked about earlier. You have to be willing to put the work in. If you're always that number one top choice goalkeeper, you might not have that in you. you know. And I think that's another piece of the puzzle. So I'm not saying every at every level you always want to – be the number one you know definitely challenge yourself sometimes uh you know and be on those top teams and you might be a number two and that's good for your development as well so uh, there's there's there is a little bit of a fine line there there is yeah i think um so yeah building off of those points that you just made there's going to be some kids who getting into college they may not have certain attributes that you know they they need to have refined to be that number one for virginia north carolina any team in the acc really and then you have uh, young goalkeepers from there once they get refined in college when they step into the professional level I have here my man Jeff Redinger from California here Jeff the keeper he says what are some attributes that you're looking for from those college goalkeepers coming out of college that would you know translate to the professional game uh, I think some of the same attributes I mentioned earlier I, I think you have to be very very clean very very good hands very very smooth in your movements uh, but then when you start getting into the, the pro game you know, reading the game is is a is going to be that next piece, that tactical side. You know, do you have the understanding of how your team is going to want to build out? 
how they're going to defend. Why are they doing that? It's a lot more tactical at this level than it is in the college game. Um, so I think that 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 portion of it is definitely the most critical piece. Gotcha. Okay. And um, my man here from, I don't know where he's from actually, but Miguel Q522, what are your techniques for 1v1s? So we talked about block saves and kind of where that trend is going, which is it's good to teach it and the process of it, right? Just so they know, add the, add it to their toolbox. But for you, I'm sure you're a little bit more old school and you know want to share a little bit about how you either teach your kids or what you try to protect them from. Yeah, well, and and I don't I don't want to come across that you're never going to use that blocking sink. I think there's definitely a time and a place for it. Uh, but I think it's, in my opinion, it's just overtrained at the present time. So it becomes the priority number, priority number one, because it's trained so much these days. The trend mm -hmm. uh, for me, there's three types of uh, breakaways. So there's a ball you're going to win first. There's a 50-50 ball, and then there's the that 60-40 in the other direction. Where again, that to me is that blocking. Well, those three types of breakaways haven't come around in the last two years. Those have been around for 20, 30 years, you know, when yeah. I was a young goalkeeper going to camps and things like that, we talked about the same types of breakaways. You're winning at first, it's a 50-50 ball, and it's 60-40 in the opponent's uh, favor. So uh, I think, for me, the breakaways, you're going to try to pick and choose when you're going to come out and close down the angle, and when you can win it, you're winning it, and you're going to try to go hands first. At the end of the day, the ball's safer in your hands than it is coming off your hands or off your body, and now it's bouncing away from you. You have to make a second save. So that first breakaway situation, I think you got to make sure you're getting the hands in and you're winning the ball. Second, which is that 50-50, I think it depends. You know, where's the ball? Is the ball yeah. bouncing? You know, then you're probably going to stand up and maybe get into a little bit more of a block. But if the ball's in the floor and it's going to become a 50-50, I know for myself, I'd rather have my hands down, down there trying to win that ball and snuff it out at a 50-50 situation, then, then just stopping and allowing it to hit me. Because if I just allow it to hit me, it's going to bounce somewhere. Yeah. If it's a 50-50 and I get my hands to it, I've got a pretty good percentage, at least I'm going to control where it goes, or I'm going to win it, and it's going to be in my hands. At the end of the day, I want it in my hands as much as possible. Yeah. But again, yeah. that blocking technique isn't – there is a time and a place for it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and that's been around for years. It's just – I think right now it's just something that's a little bit overtrained. I think one thing I actually spoke to about Phil Wedden a long time ago that surprised me was I said, for young goalkeepers, do you advise them to watch professional goalkeepers in their games and to take notes on that? And he said, yes, but with caution, because a lot of the saves that they're making are emergency type saves. So like you see with Ter Sagan, who does a lot of that spread save, a lot of the block save and stuff, because one, he's really good at it. And two, I mean, in Germany, they train that thing 24 seven and they know they've, like you said, they've expedited their kind of efficiency with it. So they know how to use it and when to use it. And a lot of these kids are watching it and it can be kind of, you know, fun to try it, but if you don't know how to do it or when to do it, then that's the big detriment. And I think that's what you're kind of alluding yeah. to. Well, and and yeah, because there's there's so many times where it's in a youth game and the pro game that a ball kind of skirts loose somewhere, and instead of the goalkeeper making that split second decision and going hands first and winning the ball, you'll see them. They'll actually go to it. They'll oh, boy. stop, <laughs> and now they could have won the ball, and they'll completely stop, and now they just basically let somebody shoot it against them. Yep. And and again, if you're in that situation where that's your last resort, that's one thing. 
But if you had the ability to go and win that ball, why not win it? Why stop short? That's my only big gripe with the, with the block these days. Yeah. So again, doesn't have to be trained, of course, yes, because you're placed in those situations. But I think it's just a little bit overtraining. One thing I, I definitely agree with with what you mentioned about with Phil. Uh, what I would recommend, and I re- recommend this to every youth goalkeeper: when you go to a pro game, go an hour before. Yep. If kickoffs at seven o'clock, go at six o'clock. Watch the, the backup goalkeeper. I'm always out an hour before with our backup for that night, and I'm putting them through a session. You'll see that goalkeeper in their warm-up, the backup, and the starter, more about their mentality, their mannerisms, their body shape, their technique, than you will for the 90 minutes of the game. Because it's exactly right what you, you said that Phil mentioned. You know, it's a lot of just re- reaction. I mean, you're relying on your technique, all right, to do a split-second reaction save. Where in a warm-up, you're going to see how clean they really are, how clean not only their hands, their movement, everything. So I highly recommend going to see pro games, go watch those warm-ups. Or if you have the opportunity to go watch a, a training session, I know 95% of our training sessions are open to the public. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure most of the ones around the league are. If you've got an MLS club in your, your area, go watch. Go watch as much as you possibly can. Amen. Um, okay, so we've asked a good amount of questions for the goalkeepers. One question here for a goalkeeper coach's perspective. Jake underscore Davis underscore 21 says, what was your biggest learning experience as a coach? Oh, boy. I don't know if I have just one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the list is long. Uh, but I think for me, when developing a training session, to keep it simple. You know, we all come off of a game. You know, we've all got a million ideas in our head and, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that. And your first thing, your first thought is, okay, that next training session, I've got to try to put this into my session, this into my session, this into my session, this into And we try to put so many things into one session uh, as opposed to just keeping it simple. And I've done that, you know, on all too many occasions. But for me, that for me and developing my session plans was keeping them very, very simple. You know, one topic, maybe two, touching on a little area, uh, and keeping it very, very simple. And and keeping it very positive as well. You know, I think, you know, building that relationship with your goalkeepers, you know, having that rapport back and forth, be able to communicate a little bit. You know, that's another thing that I've learned over the years. You know, uh, the first time I'll ever, you know, work with a goalkeeper for a level, I, I sit down with it for 20, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour or more. What do you like? What do you don't mm-hmm. like? You know, what gets your what gets your your mind in the right area? You know, because at the end of the day, my job is to make sure that they're performing at a high level. If I'm force feeding information or training sessions that don't get them confident, I I, I look at it, I'm not really doing my job correctly. So that's not to say that they're going to come up with all the sessions, but I want to kind of know what makes them tick a little bit. And I'm going to implement sessions and give them little pieces of things that I know that they're going to become very, very confident in. So that's something that I learned over the course of the years, you know, and, and being a better communicator and listening to the goalkeepers a little bit. Uh, did you like the session? Okay. What did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? Uh, those, that's key information for me to be able to then progress into the next session, to the next session, to the next session, yeah. and then develop that rapport from there. Love it. And I think uh, one question that I personally have to build off that is 
with your, you know, the younger goalkeepers that you train, whether it's the academy, the farm system, and then the professional team or with RSL, like what, what is it about your personality that changes? I know there's, you said the, the efficiency of it and, and what you kind of talk about in your coaching points by age group and by level, but do you sense any difference for you or do you feel like you have the same mentality going through, but the coaching points may be a little bit different? Yeah, in, in the different ages and levels, you mean? Yeah, like, you know, per, per- 10-year-old versus a pro? Yeah, it's the personality, I think. That's that's my main question to you is, I mean, of course, you want to make sure that you're locked in 24-7 and you're making sure that you're always professional. But, like, what is there, like, you know, a patience factor or is there something that you have to kind of switch up a little bit in the way you prepare for those sessions, in a sense? Yeah, I mean, if, I, if I'm if i working with a younger goalkeeper, I might do the, well, for example, I work here at, in Salt Lake. Um, there's, a, there's a couple kids that I work with that are, you know, friends and I'll work with them from time to time. And there's oftentimes in the morning where I'm working with RSL, we'll we'll do the session, and then in the evening I'll go and I'll say, hey guys, we're gonna let's get together, let's let's do that same session that I did with the guy, the the first team guys this morning. Well, to answer your question, my personality and my demeanor definitely changes from the first team to the younger kids, and I think it has to. I think I've got to be able to have the ability to get down to their level because those kids from a social perspective are different than the first team guys. So I've got to know a little bit what makes that 15 year old tick a little bit more and what encourages them a little bit more than what the first team guys, I know what the first team guys do. They want to be the best. They want to be the number one and it's a job for them. It's not a job, so to speak for those younger goalkeepers. So, you can't go at them and be as critical, so to speak, with them uh, as you can with the first team guys because it's it's just not a job yet. So your demeanor, your your mentality going in, it's going to be a little bit more relaxed. I think might be a word. I don't know if that's the best word, but um, I'm still going to demand a lot of them, but it's just going to be a little bit different tone than than say uh, the first team guys. So. I'm not sure if that answers your question or not, but no, it does. It does. Yeah, I think yeah. I think for me, I had in the summer I got some USL guys, which I do not summer, but in their off season. And sometimes I feel like you know I don't want to overcoach them, or I just feel like certain coaching points that I make they've heard before, and I don't want to not pander, but what's what I'm looking for? I don't want to uh, like feel like I'm like talking down to them. And then when I have the younger guys who are college guys or guys who may not have it you know so sound or the technique isn't so sound I feel like I have a little bit more freedom to criticize or to really give them an honest opinion it could just be a personality thing for me where I don't want to upset the guys that I'm training the older you know professional guys or older guys that I'm training but I think like you said it's the evolution as a coach right you you, you figure it out over time and I think can you can you kind of attest to that you think is that is that something that is just me or do you feel like you've had that in the past no I mean You've just got to be able to, to deal with different situations, you know, accordingly, I think. I mean, every age group is going to be a little bit different. You know, if I'm working with an eight, nine-year-old kid, I'm going to be a clown. Because at the end of the day, yeah. you've, you've got to be a cartoon character for, for that kid so they can absorb things. Uh, I think with a younger goalkeeper versus an older goalkeeper, uh, you know, I'll use, I'll use Nick for an example, uh, Nick Romando. He had techniques that weren't your cookie cutter classic type of techniques. I'd be a fool to change him. I'd be a fool to go into a training session and oh Nick, you, yeah, you gotta change this, you gotta change that. Well he's done it for so long and it's done he's done really, really well. With a 14, 15 year old, 
you know, I might have a little bit of different approach to them. I might offer some suggestions. At the end of the day, it's not going to be the end all, you know, but I'm going to say, okay, you were taught to catch the ball this way. What about maybe like this? At the end of the day, you've got to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Uh, but giving them some situations, you know, you might not do that as much with an older goalkeeper that's a little bit more established. So I think you're right. I mean, you've got to kind of figure out what's the makeup of the goalkeepers? What's the age group of my goalkeepers? What inspires them? How am I going to be able to, to get through to them? Uh, I know here at RSL, the goalkeepers we have now uh, have all take psychological tests, including myself. We did them all in the off season. So part of that was four. So I, I get a good idea of their profile, what makes them tick, some key words that I know through all the profile that will get them tuned in. Yeah. And then some also some words to stay away from that, that gets them to tune out. So that's something that we, we did this off season and, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, especially right. for me as that's a coach awesome. being able to, to understand who my goalkeepers are and then, and uh, how to get the most out of them. Okay, so talking about – that's a great answer, and I appreciate that. Thank you for uh, helping me with that one. But um, one of the questions I got, I forget who it was. It's pretty far back up in the list there. But they're talking about with your goalkeeping unit now, what are you having them do in this time off? Is there a specific set plan? Are you kind of off-duty? Like how, how does it work? Uh, definitely not off-duty. Uh, it's different. It's a different type of duty. But, in fact, I was talking with uh, two of them I've spoken to today, uh, one I spoke with yesterday. And, essentially – we're not allowed to do too much. So uh, the league is basically is, is we're not, we're not allowed to train uh, for obvious reasons. And I think it's the best, best decision that they've made. But at the end of the day, we don't know when we're going to be back at it and we've got to be prepared for that. So basically my information to them is do everything you possibly can, you know, go out for a jog, keep your cardio up or ride a bike, stationary bike, stepper, don't go to the gym. That's the last place you want to be right now. So do whatever you yeah. can, you know, uh, any body weight exercises you can do, you know, for strength, we want to try to do. But then I've also said, you got to do something with a ball. Even if it's something where you're laying on your bed and you're just tossing a ball up in the air and catching it just so your hands are still on a ball, you know, bouncing a ball up against the wall, you know, and just catching it, just keeping your hands alert and, and in tune is really, really critical. So it's not easy. You know, we're all in the same situation. We're all kind of learning a little bit on the fly how to deal with this. But that's basically been the information that, that I've, you know, mentioned to them. You know, go in the backyard, make sure there's not a lot of people in and around you, and do as much as you possibly can on your own. You know, some simple little claps, and, you know, there's a million and one different, you know, individual exercises we can do. Gotcha. Okay, I got two more questions for you because I know we've gone almost about an hour here. But uh, we have a one from someone named Nick Goalkeeper. He says, I'm an academy goalkeeper coach and just got out of a D1 school a couple of years ago. How do you, or how did you get to where you are in your coaching career? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is you got to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, I think you really do. I mean, I spent a lot of years from the time I finished my playing career at 30 years old to the point where I was getting an MLS job and some of the youth national teams where a lot of doors were shut in my face. You know, you, you, you apply for positions and you wouldn't get them. You know, you send resumes in, you try to talk to people and try to get a word in. And, you know, at the end of the day, things would, you know, just the door would close, the door would close. For me, it was just something that I had two goals in my career, in my coaching career. I wanted to coach, be a goalkeeper coach in the MLS, and I wanted to uh, coach youth national teams for my country. 
And they were my two goals. And it was kind of the same mentality that I'm looking for in goalkeepers. That I, I was so persistent. You know, every time a job came up, man, I've got my resume in. I would try to do everything I possibly could, you know, uh, New York Red Bull, when I first got that job. Uh, I literally saw that job open in my newspaper. I was sitting at home eating breakfast, saw that that opening uh, that the goalkeeper coach was no longer there, and, man, it was like all of a sudden it was like, okay, this is my opportunity. Who do I know? Who do I know within the club? Who do I know that's connected to somebody within the club? And I did everything I possibly could to find that connection uh, to try to push that door open. You know, I had people, you know, that I knew and, and admired that were writing letters. I got emails of people that I knew were in the club, and I would have them send emails. I was calling. I was doing everything I possibly could. And not that I was the best person for that job, but I was in the right place. I knew the right people to kind of get me in the door. And then once I was in the door, I, I, I got an interview, and I basically was like, look, I'm going to do the best I possibly can in this interview and hope for the best. And it, it worked, and it worked out. And I think that's the biggest thing. you got to be persistent. You know, there's going to be times where it's a job opening, but it might not really be a job opening. There's somebody on the inside, and you never really know that. But you just got to keep if, – if you have a goal and you want to be in the MLS, you want to be in the USL, wherever, you got a goal. It's the same as a player. Don't let anybody stop you. Just keep going and try to make those connections of people. Because I tell you, the goalkeeping world or in the soccer world is very, very small. It really is small, and try to find those those links that'll get you into spots is uh, you know and that's going to help you at that right place at the right time. A lot of sacrifice, I'm sure, and I think that's that's like you said. I mean, even moving from New York to Utah, and then you know, it's just it's not an easy process, and and a lot of coaches sometimes, even myself, I don't want to leave LA sometimes, and that may be hindering my career so, at, at some points. But like you said, it's kind of being able to sacrifice and and moving. To where you need to go to take those jobs to gain that experience and then from there you beef up the resume and a job eventually comes up that you really want your resume is it's in tip-top shape ready to go and i tell you it's you hit it on the head i mean it is not an easy job you know sometimes you look at it and you think you know and we live in a sports center world you know and all you see is highlights you see these little yep. snippets of highlights and highlights and what you don't see and it drives me nuts i love sports center but I hate Sports Center because <laughs> what you don't see is you see LeBron James taking a three-pointer and swish, and you know the place goes wild. What you don't see is how many of those same shots that he took throughout the course of the week to have the opportunity to shoot that game winner. That's the part of the Sports Center I don't like, and that's the kind of the same thing with the coaching world. You see, you see us on a Saturday in front of fifty thousand people, and you think, "Oh, that's a great job." It is a great job. But it's also a very, very demanding job. There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, Jobs are very, very hard to come by. uh, And they're also easy to lose. So uh, we're all going to be fired. That's the nature of our position. Uh, We're all going to be fired. It's just a matter of when. You know, when is that day going to come? Because we're we're in the the business of winning winning and losing. You know, and, and if you're winning, you're keeping jobs. If you're losing, you're not. So it's not always easy. You know, and a lot of times you got to, like myself, I had to pick my family up and move to Utah, which has been a great experience for us, and, and we love it, and I'm fortunate I've got a family that's been willing to do it, but it's not an easy road. It, it really isn't at many, many levels. All right, Todd, I'm going to get you out on this last question, all right? It's a two, uh, two-part question. First part is, 
seeing where the goalkeeping position is now. Let's go with this country, and then we can probably use that in really in relative uh, to the rest of the world. Yeah, I think in this country, I, I, I think it's a little it's disappointing. I think we've maybe lost our way a little bit. Uh, where I think we were really spoiled. It's years ago, and we had a big laundry list of goalkeepers. Um, I think I'll kind of go back to my point earlier where I like that multi-sport athlete for this country because I think it, it really helps goalkeepers where we're getting almost so isolated at such a young age. You've got to be, a, you got to focus on just soccer or you got to focus just on basketball. We're, we're, we're focusing, I think, a little bit. So we're losing some of that general athleticism uh, in this country. But all in all, I mean, it's, it's not bad. I think we've got a lot of really, really good goalkeeper coaches in this country a lot of them uh, and I think if we kind of get back to you know the way it used to be where we take pride in and developing our goalkeepers I think we've we've got we've got all the different things in this in this country to have the best goalkeepers in the world I, I firmly believe that uh, I really do uh, I think we've got every every resource that we, we could potentially have. But I think we've got to get back to getting a, a federation that is going to take stock and ownership of, hey, this is a vital position, and we want to we wanna be the, the powers of the world yeah. in goalkeeping. Uh, and I think it starts from the top. Uh, right as, as we speak right now, we don't have a goalkeeper curriculum, uh, which is disappointing. Crazy. You know, we don't have consistent – youth national team goalkeeper coaches that are coming in every single time. It's kind of piecemealed all over the place. Uh, you'll get one goalkeeper coach coming into one camp, then next time you get another one, and it, it's kind of all over, which is, you know, disappointing. But hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll make some strides in, in, you know, these next four to next cycle or two cycles, uh, and we'll, we'll get better at that. But I think it, it starts from us here as, as goalkeeper coaches. We've got to make sure that we're, we're doing the simple things with these goalkeepers, and we've got to take the ownership. Uh, that we're going to help develop these goalkeepers uh, because we have all the resources, you know, that we need. There, there's a ton of goalkeepers, uh, young goalkeepers that are out there. Seek out a lot of the goalkeeper coaches that are in your areas. If you're not sure of who they are, reach out to me. I know Omar there. I can give you a laundry list of other different people that are around this country that that'll be able to help you out. Uh, worldwide, I think I think we're doing all right. I think we have we've seen over the last couple of years that there's some really really strong goalkeepers out there. Uh, and there's a lot of different types of styles. There really is. There's so many different styles, types of styles of goalkeepers that are out there today. And I don't think there's a, a right and a wrong style. You know, I think there's there's uh, there's no cookie cutter goalkeeping that's that's out there at the moment. So we got to just Amen. find something that that fits you. Absolutely. Okay. My last question to you is based on all the trends that are currently going on in the world of goalkeeping, distribution, side volleys, block saves. What do you think, if you can predict the next 10 years of goalkeeping, what is the next trend? You know, I actually had this uh, kind of similar discussion during the preseason in Tucson with another goalkeeper coach uh, with one of the MLS clubs. And uh, I'm going to kind of go with what he said because we're both uh, kind of in that same nature about uh, catching is becoming a lost art. And he mm -hmm. made the comment, and I probably agree with him. I think everything kind of always comes back. You know, right now the trend is a lot of the blocking. I think eventually uh, I agree with him that uh, that catching, you know, becoming your first your first line of defense is catching the ball. I think that will ultimately come back. I mean, that's that's at least I hope so. But th there's always going to be little trends here and there. Right now, the yeah. trend is, you know, you gotta be able to, you know, 
play the ball like an outfield player. You're an outfield player with gloves on, and uh, if you can catch a ball or block a ball, that's awesome. But I, I think eventually it's going to come back that uh, catching is going to be a, a, a big priority again. All right, Todd. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, for for coming on. I've gotten a few texts already from people saying that they don't normally watch all of the Instagram live videos, but when they do, this is the one they did watch, and they they watched the entire thing, and they were actually amused by it. So I'm happy that that <laughs> you 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 kept their attention when usually I can't do it by myself. But um, one last thing, you did uh, you did just drop a YouTube channel. Uh, can you just I'll, I'll leave I'll link it in my description, all that stuff. So just tell us a little bit about what the kid you know kids can expect from that YouTube channel. Yeah, it's just something that uh, for the for many many years. I mean, I've always logged all my sessions, and I I created a book about all my different sessions. But I never had video content, and uh, trying to, you know, keep up with the Joneses a little bit, and everybody's got, you know, their YouTube pages, and uh, I thought, well, you know what, uh, I'm going to start filming a lot of the different sessions I do here at RSL, and you know, just start, you know, put putting them up there, uh, so you'll see some of my goalkeepers and some of the sessions that we use, and it's, to be honest, it's probably a lot of very similar sessions you guys have seen, <laughs> you know, a lot of your sessions, so. Uh, but it's something that I'm using as just a you know a resource for young goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches. Uh, I do the same thing. I go on YouTube and I, I've watched your videos. I've watched you know Stan Anderson's, all kinds of you know Dan Gaspar's, all these goalkeeper coaches around the world. And it's you know you're picking up little things, you know little things that you like. You know it could be you know an 18 year old goalkeeper coach that posts something on YouTube, and I might say, hey, you know what, I, I like that. I like the way they they piece that together. And I might steal that. It might be just something small or it might be a complete session. So uh, I've just posted, you know, some things up on a YouTube channel that, you know, hopefully somebody will get some use of and maybe steal a little bit uh, or modify it in a way that works for them. I know I will, guys. And uh, Todd, again, I can't thank you enough. Stay safe out there. Stay healthy. Make sure you guys are self-quarantined. Don't do anything too crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to link your YouTube channel in the uh podcast notes as well as the show notes for this and you guys can hear this podcast again pro gk podcast you can actually re-listen to this whole thing so todd again thank you so much stay safe we'll talk soon all right man thank you you too see you guys thanks for checking us out yes sir take care